Hey guys, good morning. Welcome to Fiddle Church. Uh, my name is Stephen Copperath, one of the pastors here. And um, hey, if you, uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Exodus chapter 20. Um, and uh, just uh, kind of heads up as you're doing that. Pastor Chris has been gone the past few weeks. He'll be back next Sunday in the pulpit, and so looking forward to having him back. Um, but in the meantime, we continue to walk through our um, kind of mini-series within the series on Exodus on the Ten Commandments. And so today, we are actually to the Ninth Commandment. And um, as we kind of look at this commandment, I want to remind us that uh, the law passed down from God to Moses on Mount Sinai, uh, the law is, is, is meant for his covenant people. And so as we kind of walk again through a, a little bit of a sermon that may feel to some like there's like, hey, don't do this, do that, do this, make sure that you never do this or that. Uh, it's important that we remember that this is a word for us as Christians, not for uh, those who are outside of Christ. And the moment we kind of get those mixed up, uh, there's a sense of a legalism that can kind of sneak in, and we forget that God truly is after our hearts, and he wants us to know and love him and understand the gospel first, and what's to follow is the law. And so as, as we jump in at the ninth commandment, we see that um, as the people of Israel are are called to live differently than the rest of the nations, as the rest of the world, and we see that there's a sense of, of a clarity um, in the ninth commandment when it comes to how we are truthful with our neighbor. So um, Exodus 20, verse 16, simply says this, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And so as we uh, consider... Um, uh, how, how we ought to interact with one another, there is a reminder for us that we should uh, be truthful in all our dealings, that everything that we say about one another ought to be truthful. Now, as a kid, I would always think about this ninth commandment in a context of just being truthful and never lying in general. In fact, maybe some of you guys, when you saw the Ten Commandments written out, it was, you know, you know do not murder, do not steal, do not lie. And, and really, as we look at this ninth commandment, there's much more to this at stake than simply not lying. That's certainly a part of it. And as God's covenant people, we are called to be truthful in all things, but there's some more nuance to it as we consider things moving forward. Part of it has to do with thinking back to, at the time when this was given, uh, there, there wasn't, when a crime was committed against someone else, there was not this, you know, DNA evidence, obviously, there wasn't any video or audio evidence that could be submitted in a court of law. And so there was a sense of, hey, if, if this person in our community saw this happen and bore witness against another person, it was important that their character was understood to be solid and, and at stake. It was really a matter of character um, as they bore witness for one another. It was their reputation uh, to another person in their community. And so while there are certainly some legal um, understandings and kind of implications for the ninth commandment, it really was a matter of, hey, how do we witness to another's character? How, how does... How does what I say about a person's character um, kind of implore and kind of have legs when it comes to how we live in community with one another? Uh, John Calvin said once that the Eighth Commandment really had to do with tying our hands so that we would not steal one another's property. And the Ninth Commandment had to do with, uh, with tying up our tongues so that we would not uh, rob someone's reputation uh, from them. Uh, further on, Martin Luther, in his catechism, he, he asked this question, you know, what do these commandments mean? And so he says in the ninth commandment uh, that we should fear and love God, that we may not deceitfully, deceitfully belie, betray, slander, or defame our neighbor, but defend him, think and speak well of him. Uh, so as we consider Martin Luther's response to the ninth commandment, 
I think part of what we're after this morning is that we would be a, a community of Christians that would live in this way. And that's really what God is after as he uh, puts forth the ninth commandment in front of us. Say, hey, Christians, would we live in a way where we lived in a world, in a community where we did not slander our neighbors, we didn't defame our neighbor, where we lived in a way where I could take my neighbor's word at face value, that I wouldn't read into it, that I wouldn't uh, think about what does he really mean there, or, or there, there wouldn't be any deception uh, back and forth in communication uh, in any way. So as we consider the the language used around this commandment, there's lots of directions to go here, but I just want to give a few examples to start off with in terms of how uh, we break the ninth commandment. And, and first of all, let me, let's just see what the consequences are as well. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says this, uh, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and a hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. And so it's clear through Scripture, through the examples that we're about to jump into, that, that there are real consequences to bearing false witness against your neighbor. And so let's just start there, and, just, and in a little bit, we'll talk about some warnings that the next commandment points out as well. But let's start with some examples. The first example that I want to point out to you is actually in Genesis chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you actually to go to Genesis 3 just for a minute. Um, and Genesis 3 is, is obviously kind of the tail end of the creation account and the start of the fall. And as Adam and Eve are, are living in communion with God in this perfect place, we see that uh, the, the enemy is, is there, represented by the snake, and, and, and the serpent actually slanders God as kind of one of the first uh, parts of the rebellion and how God um, is really slandered by the enemy in, Pro, in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5. And so if you're there, just read with me in verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, in the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and knowing evil. So there they are in the middle of the garden. They're having this conversation. And we see that God himself is the victim of slander. That God himself is the victim of, of bearing false witness. And we experience this in, in many ways as Christians. But I think what's interesting about Eve is that she has a partial truth in mind. She, she understands what God's instructions are, and yet the serpent comes in and twists things just a little bit. The serpent says, hey, did God really say what you thought he said? And, and oftentimes, this is what we kind of hear in the back of our minds, too. Is maybe it's culture. Maybe it's, you know, voices from social media. Maybe it's, it's simply just our own sinful hearts. But we tend to uh, think of God's instructions, and then we start to doubt his goodness in the midst of that. And this is what the serpent does. He says, hey, is God really good? Does God truly have your best in mind? Does God truly know everything and is he truly sovereign and, and wise when it comes to these areas of your life? And so the serpent is able to kind of get into Eve's mind and, and really slander God. And this is the first kind of bit of, of character assassination that we see from the serpent to God. If you also turn to Genesis 39 as well, we, some of you know the story of Joseph. You know the guy with the multicolor uh, 
cloak, right, that we learned about as kids, as we studied as adults. And so Joseph was sold off into slavery. And as another example of, of kind of uh, seeing somebody's character be, be taken out of context and, and have him uh, born false witness against, Joseph has, with God's help, risen to this, this state of, of living um, as, as help in Potiphar's home. Potiphar was one of the, the kind of most important people in all of Egypt. And so we see that he's, he's working there. He's kind of made his way from slavery into this home. And Potiphar's wife has eyes for Joseph. So Genesis 39, verse 11, we see this other example of bearing false witness. Uh, but one day when he, Joseph, went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me, sleep with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until her master came home, and she told him the same story. Verse 19, as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. <clears throat> because of Potiphar's wife's false testimony, Joseph, who was completely in the right. He was not, he was actually being righteous and honorable. Uh, he was kind of thrown under the bus. He was sent to jail because of Potiphar's wife's uh, wrong words, because she bore false witness against him. And there are real consequences when this happens. And so we see this all throughout scripture of, of examples, time after time, of when, when we speak wrongly about someone else, there are, there are actually destructive things that can happen as a result of this. If we go into kind of our own uh, history, uh, you, you, some of you know about what happened in 1692 in Salem, Massachusetts. Uh, there was the, the, the witch, uh, Salem witch trials in 1692. And and maybe you've seen movies about it or read books about it or articles. This was a, a kind of a nationwide phenomenon at the time because witchcraft was kind of one of the worst things that you could be accused of at the time, especially if you were a woman. And so right before this, there had been tens of thousands of European witches who had been kind of called out and had been wrongfully put to death as a result of this, this craze that had happened in Europe. And so this had made its way over to the American colonies in 1692. And so 200 women, maybe more, were accused formally of being a witch. And as a result of kind of this like social paranoia, it's actually really fascinating how this kind of all took off in a life on its own. But uh, at, the, at the time, you could actually be thrown into jail for perjury, for lying on stand in front of a judge. But in this instance, if you simply just kind of called out your neighbor and said, well, I think they, they may be doing something kind of shady over there too, uh, you could actually be put um, kind of off the stand and, and set free. And so many people were kind of like throwing their neighbors under the bus and saying, hey, there are witches over there too, and they're practicing witchcraft over there as well. And we see this, this kind of rapid response happen as a result. And so still to this day, we're talking about what happened at uh, the Salem Witch Trials. But we see this uh, even today as well. There's this, this kind of cultural and political pressure to respond right away to what we may think at the time is truth. 
without knowing actually what's happening. Um, and we know this the last few years. It's been acute the last few years where something happens and there's kind of this pressure to have to respond to it right away. And, and we're called to kind of like maybe post something on social media or, 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 or make a comment to friends or make sure our, our stance is correct without really knowing all the information at hand. Because oftentimes what ends up happening is people will come out and say something and they end up bearing false witness against their neighbor. They end up making a statement where that really it's, it's mishandling someone's reputation and slandering them in a way. And this really breeds a heart of hate in many ways, going back to even the commandment to not murder. If you recall that commandment, the heart of that was to not have a hateful thought about someone else. And so there's so much disunity right now in our country, in our world, when it comes to how we handle one another's reputations. So these are all examples that we see of, of bearing false witness against one another. And in fact, if I kind of had an open mic right now and had all of you share, you could also share examples of how somebody's words have hurt you as a result of, of really kind of misrepresenting what you said or, or gossiping about you in some way or, or, uh, or other. And so I, I would encourage us to, to think deeply about this because I think as we consider this ninth commandment, it may be easy to set this aside and say it's simply about not lying about something, but there's really more to it. And so as we kind of spend the rest of our time here, I, I want to talk about what the ninth commandment warns us against. This is what I really believe it warns us against. The first thing that I want to point out is it warns us against exaggeration. It warns us against exaggeration. Um, I used to be a youth pastor, and one of the things that is, is marked of youth pastors is that we exaggerate, right? So that's kind of one of the things we do. We, we, we kind of hang out with kids, and we're trying to tell stories, and so oftentimes there's, there's a, just a better way to tell the story, and so we'll kind of add a few things, and we'll like make it a little bit sound a little bit more spectacular in some ways. Um, and, and it's not just youth pastors, right? And, not, and Brian's back there. I'm not calling him out specifically, right? It's, it's not just Brian. It's all of us, you know, men, women, kids. Some of you old people just exaggerate like crazy, right? You just, you just think that because people weren't around back then, you can say whatever you want to, but that's not, it's not true, right? And so there's all kinds of ways that we exaggerate. There's some examples I want to even just show you online here. I need a coffee in an IV, right? Everything hurts and I'm dying, Thank you, Liz Lenove. I'm starving, right? Americans, all the time. We say this all the time. Our kids say this all the time at 3 p.m. every single day. Like, I'm starving. And it's like, no, you're not starving. And we exaggerate. And it comes off of our lips so easily. And it's hard to sometimes get this under control because exaggeration, unlike other areas of, of, of falsehood, uh, it's oftentimes based on a partial truth. There's something that's kind of true about what you're saying, but we go even further with it. And it's important that, we, that when we consider our truthfulness, that exaggeration is done really thoughtfully, uh, that hyperbole is done really intentionally, and, and not in a way that misrepresents reality. In fact, a, a pastor named Eric Raymond, he says this, exaggeration diminishes our perception of reality. Exaggeration dulls our sense of the spectacular. We are always inflating or deflating with our exaggeration. One of the things that I like about uh, this comment is our sense of the spectacular. And as Christians, let me remind you, let me remind us what is spectacular. What is actually worthy of our time and our worship and, and our attention? God and his creation and how he formed and shaped the world is spectacular. 
Jesus Christ and his work on the cross for us on our behalf to die for our sins, to, to make us right before the Father, that is spectacular. The work of the Holy Spirit right now to unite our church, to, to make us one in worship and to convict us of sin every day, that is spectacular work. And so uh, oftentimes when we say, um, hey, this is awesome or this is incredible or we exaggerate in kind of these ways, we create this false reality. And I, I know that in some ways this may feel like, come on, Stephen, this is just simply the way we talk or this is hyperbole. But I think it's important that we as Christians, that as we're known for truthfulness, that we, we are intentional about the words we use, that we don't exaggerate just to be funny or to get a response, that we don't water things down, that actually when we, when we exaggerate, we oftentimes water things down to, to call worship away from the things that ought to be worshiped. And so if, if everything is awesome, then nothing is. And we have to remember that as we use our words. The second thing that the ninth commandment uh, warns us against, and this one's a big one, is, is gossip. Gossip is always trouble. It always causes trouble. Gossip is one of these things that we've all seen this in our, our families, in our social circles, on Facebook, in our churches. Gossip can completely destroy relationships. Gossip can completely destroy and divide churches. It pushes, pushes us away from God. It obscures truth. It, it confuses things. Gossip is a terrible thing. In fact, James says this in chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. No man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, we also know that the tongue can be used for good as well. But the tongue in this context, when gossip is, is like a forest fire. Now, as, as Southern Californians, we know how fires can get carried away at any moment, right? Like, so in the, it's the summertime, the Santa Ana winds are blowing, and it's, it's 105 degrees outside. Fire is very difficult, and oftentimes it just has to burn out in some ways, where, where acres and acres of land are, are burned and torched, and nothing can get it under control. And this is what the Bible says is a gossiping tongue. This is the kind of destruction that the tongue can, can, uh, can fuel to that fire. And I just want to encourage you to think personally about this. Think of the last two years. The last two years has been really unique in many ways. Uh, we've had the pandemic, we've had rioting, we've had racial uh, um, uh, disunity in, in the church, we've had all kinds of issues come up the last two, three years. And I know that they've been kind of uh, really heightened by the pandemic, but think about the ways that we have gossiped about one another in the last two years that have been unique. I mean, just this kind of inclusion of the vaccine, right? Did you know that the whole family isn't vaccinated yet? And, and we, we say this to people. Did you know that their family went on vacation right at the height of the pandemic? And so we're, we're kind of saying these things in ways to really divide people against one another when that's not our business. That's not what we're called to do as Christians in this time, to bear false witness against one another through gossip. And we need to grow in this area because it's very destructive if we don't get it right. Proverbs 25, 18 this is this, telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an axe. I hope none of you have been hit by an axe before. That sounds very painful, a very painful way to die, wounding them with a sword or shooting them with a sharp arrow. These are painful, terrible things. 
And, and so the, whoever kind of said first, you know, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words will never hurt me. Apparently they didn't read Proverbs 25, 18, because this is exactly what God is saying is destructive. When we say untruths about another person, it's like, it's like somebody stabbing them in the back. It's like someone shooting a volley of arrows at them. And this is not, as Christians, how we are called to live. So that's number two. Another warning from the ninth commandment as we consider bearing false witness. And this is a little bit more subjective. But number three is this, saying anything that comes to mind. Saying anything that comes to mind. James 1.19 is helpful here as well. He says, says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Every person ought to be slow to speak and quick to hear. This is really um, oftentimes what I've realized is summed up by much of my parenting. This is kind of as parents what we're encouraging our kids to do. Hey, hey son, hey daughter, don't say that. Don't say that out loud. Just keep it to yourself. And oftentimes we need this reminder as well. Let me just say this, little church. Keep your thoughts to yourself at times, right? We don't need to hear what you're thinking all the time. Uh, in fact, you should probably sleep on it. You should probably consider not ever saying it again. Or, or that there are things that come through our minds where we need to have some type of biblical filter in place where it's like, is this something that a Christian would say? Is this something that the Lord would be honored by my speech in this way? And so we ought to uh, think more often and, and more clearly about how we uh, should, should be slow to speak and quick to listen. We all need to grow in this way because, listen, we're, we're not that interesting, right? Keep it to yourself. Uh, sleep on it and for another day. Number three is say anything that comes to mind. Number four, last one that I'm going to point us to as we consider a warning from the ninth commandment is assuming the worst. This is a little bit uh, maybe just for me, all right? But the ninth commandment would warn us to not assume the worst about your brother and sister in Christ. Um, Look, look here's, here's one of my core fears. One of the things that I struggle with in my own life is that I would be perceived or thought of as a person who doesn't know the answer or who maybe isn't in the know or doesn't know and understand uh, certain, you know, uh, cultural comments or a word. And so oftentimes, you know, I'll be standing in a group of people and, and someone will mention a cultural reference or say a word that I don't know what it means. And my face will be like, like this. But in my mind, I'm like, what is that? that that's usually kind of my, my fear is that someone would find me out as somebody who doesn't know. And so you know what's, what's great about that? If I don't know something, that drives me to really positive things. That drives me to kind of talking to people who are smarter than me, reading books, taking classes, these kinds of things. But do you know what's actually easier than doing all that hard work? Is just to make assumptions, Right? And we do this all the time because it's, it's just easier to make assumptions as opposed to actually have conversation to find out what the person's thinking. And the problem with assumptions is, I'm not going to say that thing, but it, the problem with assumptions is that like 20% of the time, I'm, I'm right. But 80% of the time, I, I get it wrong. I get it wrong when I assume about people. And so as you consider your own way that you, your brain works, I would encourage you as well as myself to, to lean into the body of Christ when it comes to um, our making assumptions about people. But the, the truth is, is that you and I, although we, we may be believers, we may attend the same church, we may have lots of things in common in terms of values and, and things of that nature, we see the world very differently. And so if I make an assumption about a comment you make without giving you the benefit of the doubt, 
then usually it's not going to end well. Usually I, I start to put in my own kind of sin or my own passive aggressiveness or I start putting the things that I actually struggle with in terms of my own sin life on you. And I realize when I talk to people like, oh, that's, that's not the way you saw that. That's just the way I saw it. Oh, that's just the way that my mind works. And so as we consider how we can live out the ninth commandment and bear, bear truth when it comes to one another, uh, we, we should not assume the worst. We should assume the best about one another. The spirit of the age... The spirit of our time that we're living in assumes the worst of his neighbor's confusing comments. And the spirit of the Christian ought to assume the, the, the best about someone, especially as we consider how would I want to be perceived in a situation. You know, when I was a kid, there, there weren't very many avenues or places for, for a, a comment to be made confusing. And I feel like nowadays there are so many different ways that something that I think gets typed out on a screen or on a phone, and it can, it can be perceived in a way that was not meant uh, to start with. Uh, think about just the comment section on YouTube, right? Like all those comments, or on social media, or, or emails, or Slack, or text messages. There's so many different ways that we communicate in words that can be misperceived or misunderstood. And so one of the ways, Christians, that we can actually lean into truth and lean into uh, understanding that we all serve a God who unites us in the church is to assume the best of your neighbor in that way. Now, as we consider these things, as we consider how, how we bear false witness, uh, I'm convicted by these things. I, I hope you are too, that there's ways that we can all grow when it comes to um, bearing false witness. Because some of us just flat out lie. Some of you exaggerate. Some of us ex uh, commit gossip on a regular basis. Some of you don't assume the best of your neighbor. But when we do these things, when we gossip and when we lie, we actually take a stance against truth and with the enemy. Do you realize that? That the enemy is, is said in scripture over and over again that he is a deceiver, that he is disguised as an enemy of, of as, as an angel of light when he is actually um, has, has, um, uh, has bad intentions for, for God's people. And so when we step into untruth, when we gossip, when we lie about things, we are actually taking sides with the enemy against God. And that's not a place as Christians that where we want to be. In fact, this is this is how the enemy oftentimes makes work of, of worldviews. So you think about any kind of you know, other world religion. Uh, so much about the religions outside of Christianity have to do with obscuring truth and, and kind of giving very little information. The, the prosperity gospel is, is all about obscuring the truth of the gospel in order for, for health and, and wealth to be kind of put center stage. And, and the gospel that we read in scripture is about the light. It's about truth. It's about bringing things into the light. It's about bringing our sin before God so that we can know him at a greater level. And this is my last kind of comment as we wrap this up, is that just as a reminder that we serve a God of truth. This is who we worship. This is who we, we, we hitch our horses to. This is, this God is of the, of, of the Bible is a God of truth. He is a God who does not hide he brings the things into the light so that we can be uh, more like him and be seen by him fully. And so when we bear false witness against our neighbor, we also bear false witness against God. Now, I'm encouraged by, by how God continues to keep his promises throughout scripture. In fact, I mentioned this earlier, but if you look at Genesis 3 again, uh, look back at Genesis 3 verse 14. And there's a section after 
the fall occurs, after Adam and Eve sin and they rebel against God, they're taken out of the garden. And, but before that happens, the serpent, the enemy, is, is cursed by God. And so there's this sense of, hey, Eve, you've heard untruth about God's character. But God says, hey, let me tell you what is true. And he says this in verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And some of the other translations, we, we know that that verse in verse 15 is that uh, he will crush your head. And we're talking now about the offspring of Eve who will one day be Jesus, who will be promised to crush the head of the snake. And so as we consider God's truthfulness, as we consider that God has been faithful to keep his promises, if you've ever had a doubt about who God is and about his truth in your life, all you have to do is look at Jesus Christ and the cross. Jesus did the work for us and he, he crushed the head of the serpent so that any kind of deception will be put to death. And so as, as we consider our response as Christians that, that we would realize and live in a way with that reality front and center that God has done the work for us because Jesus Christ crushed the serpent uh, for our, for, on our behalf. And so church, remember that God is good, that he keeps his promises, that, that the things that we uh, have doubts about, that we can look to scripture and realize that this is a book full of truthful promises, that we serve a God of truth who works on our behalf for our good and his glory. Okay, let's bow our heads together. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for this truth this morning. We thank you for the truth of scripture, for the way that you have reminded us through these 10 commandments, through the ninth commandment, Lord, uh, as a call to, to not live in darkness, to not live in deception, and to not bear false witness against one another, Lord, but instead to live in the truth and the light. God, you are, you are the, the way, the truth, and the life. And so we ask, God, that you would remind us of that importance this morning, that you would give us, um, give us a new impulses to live in truthful ways, that we would not hurt one another and, and, and push one another aside just so we can get ahead, but instead that we would live in, in light of the truth that you have presented for us, God. God, we're grateful for this and we're grateful for the gospel and the way that you have uh, made a way, Lord, for us to have a relationship with you. We pray this in your name. Amen.